It has just been a joy to reflect on why we celebrate Easter. And it's great to have you joining with us. And I hope you've appreciated that we've tried to give you the full experience of the tomb to the light of the resurrection as we peeled back the doors and let light in. And as we open the side doors and let fresh air in, it's our attempt to give you a full experience of the resurrection. It is good, though, to join together. And the choir uh, ended by singing, I think, just a beautiful song for us. I will sing of God's great love. The supreme happiness in life is the conviction that we are loved, wrote the famous French playwright Victor Hugo. Knowing that we are loved gives us a secure base that we need to get on with our lives. We need to know that we matter to somebody. We can't live without meaningful personal relationships. Not only do we need to relate to others, though, but we also need to relate to God. One has written, authentic existence is not to be had through possessions, status, or power, but through embracing and being embraced by a loving and living God. You see, Christianity is fundamentally about relationship. It's a relational faith. And at the heart of the gospel is the fact that we can have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. At its core, Christian faith is about trusting a God who shows himself to be worthy of trust in word and in deed. And we trust in a God who loves us and gives us a hope for the future. I will sing of God's great love. You see, the events of this Easter weekend demonstrate the lengths to which God has gone to make a relationship with him possible. It demonstrates the lengths to which God has come to illustrate how much he loves us and to open up the way that we might be in a love relationship with the Father. And the one word that um, we focus on even this morning is a word that helps us understand how God has demonstrated that love. And it's a single word, reconciliation. It's a word that we don't use a lot in our vocabulary day to day, but it is a word that we're uh, at least familiar enough with. Reconciliation is a relational term. Reconciliation is a term that we like because it means restoring a relationship with another individual. It means to renew a friendship. It points often to a original relationship that, having been broken, has been recovered. Reconciliation is attractive because it's the opposite of alienation. It's the opposite of hostility. It's the opposite of enmity. It's a family term. It's a personal term. God has worked in such a way that we might be related and in a good relationship with him once again. So how do the events of Easter illustrate this? How do they demonstrate reconciliation to us? Well, succinctly put, mankind, which is you and I, we have been alienated from God by sin. Both by nature and by act, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But in the death and the resurrection of Jesus, which we have celebrated and sung so heartily about this morning, we understand that God has removed that barrier. His wrath towards us has been satisfied. 
The penalty for our sins has been paid. The cause of our alienation has been removed, clearing the way for us to be back into a relationship with God who so longs to have a relationship with us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 to 21 talks a little bit about reconciliation and what this means for us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, Paul writes, he says, All of this is from God, who through Christ has reconciled us to himself and given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him who, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Father, help us to see the lengths to which you have gone to show that we are loved. Help us, Father, in this text to realize that you have done everything possible to make reconciliation a reality for us. May we experience in a fresh new way the joy of knowing that we are reconciled with you. Or maybe some this morning might for the first time experience reconciliation with you. We pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. How is it possible that you and I can be reconciled to God? I think the first thing that the apostle tells us here is that it is because God has taken the initiative. The writer says, all this is from God. Well, all of what? Well, all of the offer of reconciliation, all the work of reconciliation. If we were to look back a few verses in this chapter, chapter 5, we would understand that he says that all who are in Christ Jesus, all that who have put their faith and trust in God through Christ, that they are new creatures in Christ. Old things have passed away and everything has become new. In another point, he would say that because we have died with Christ and be raised with Christ, we have a new motivation for living. So the apostle says all of that and the reality that we can be reconciled with God, all of that is because God has made the first steps towards us. It's an amazing reality to realize that the offended one is himself the one who initiates the way back towards a relationship with him. See, the good news is that you and I don't have to do anything in it. Reconciliation has been achieved. It has been made possible from God. From first to last, it is a complete work of God. We understand that God has acted in, by dealing with our sin. And we sometimes wonder, well, what is sin? It's a word that maybe we don't familiar with or we throw it around, but sin can be described in any uh, number of ways. It's a purposeful disregard for God's ways. It's a clear act of rebellion against what we know God is asking us or commanding us to do. It's also, though, an intentional twisting or deviation of the truth that God has given to us. Has God really said? Or that really doesn't apply in my life. Or also... Sin is understood as falling short of what God requires of us. I quoted that verse already. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
We just don't live up to the standard that God has set for us. We don't live up to the standard of righteousness that God has said. This is the way. Walk ye in it. And so God has dealt with all of our rebellion, with all of our deviation, and with all of our falling short of what he wants for us. He's the initiative-taking God. He is a seeking God. And we see this all the way back at the very beginning of the Bible. When Adam and Eve first came on this earth and they sinned. And what was their, what was their reaction to the sin? They were shamed and they felt guilt. And what did they do? They went and hid themselves. They couldn't look at God in the face. They couldn't even stand before God. They looked for some place to hide. God could have left them there. But we find that God came down in the evening. Adam, where are you? Eve, where are you? God took the initiative to come towards them. Many thousands of years later, there was a conversation that took place in a hill in Greece. And in that conversation, part of that conversation was um, a God who, who the Greeks didn't know about. And so Paul came along and he says, let me tell you about this God. This God who has created man and woman. This God who has created this universe. He is a God that wants to be found by you. He is a God who has gone to great lengths in order that you might discover him. He has gone to such lengths that he has even determined the exact boundaries and the situation of when and where you will live in life. And he has done that in order that we might seek him. And it's no mistake that all of us are here this morning because God wants you to find him. God has taken the initiative to draw you towards himself so that you might know that he wants to be reconciled with you. God is a seeking God. God is a God who takes initiative to come and find us. It's like he said, something has to be done about this elephant in the room. About this tension that exists between mankind and myself. Something has to be done about that. So he takes the initiative. How does he act then? What's the first thing that he does? Well, the the, the writer says that God, all this is from God who through Christ... Who through Christ. That's how we come to the cross. That's how we come to Easter. Because what, And what that does is it takes reconciliation out of your hands and my hands. And it puts the work of reconciliation on Jesus Christ, God's sons. Because it is possi- impossible for you or I to ever work out reconciliation with God. We try to move towards God, but our efforts always fall short. See, this is the history of mankind. It's a struggle of many of us here today, and I would fact probably say most of us. We try to make reconciliation with God by doing good works. We think if I can just live a good, good enough life, if I can just make sure that I live a little bit better than the person next to me, if I can just do enough, then God will be happy with me. And we somehow think that we can be reconciled to God through our own good works. But we can't because we always know that every time we do a good work, we always commit a sin. And how do we ever deal with the guilt and the shame that we feel? The good works that we do doesn't cover up the shame and the guilt that we feel from the sins that we have committed. I also think it's a beautiful reality that God has acted through Christ because it calms my fears. It settles my heart because, uh, 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 you know, while some people think that they can do enough to satisfy God, there's others who just throw their hands in there and say, I can never satisfy God. 
There's nothing that I can ever bring to the table that will, that will make me feel good enough inside and will allow God to accept me. How can I ever lift up my head before God because of the weight of my guilt and my shame? This is the beauty of reconciliation. All this is from God who, through Christ, God has provided the means of reconciliation. His Son, Jesus Christ. I think this also, though, demonstrates the magnitude of the problem, of the sin problem. You see, I think sometimes we tend to trivialize sin. Because we don't feel its immediate effects, we quickly are lulled into a sense of false security and peace. We think, well, I sinned. Well, nothing happened to me. I'm still walking. I'm still talking. Nothing dreadful has happened to me. So I guess it's not really that big a deal. Truth is, the only thing holding us back from a just and immediate punishment is the character of God, is the love of God, is the patience of God, is the mercy of God, is the grace of God, because he desires that no one die. See, but if the cost of our sin is, uh, or if the cost of our reconciliation was the death of Jesus Christ, and if the punishment of our sin was so great that only God could bear the full weight of its penalty, then we need to give serious consideration to the desperate nature of our plight. And our hearts ought to soar when we say, think that all this is from God who through Christ made our way back to him possible. One of the writers of the Bible says, we ought to rejoice in God that through Jesus Christ we have now received reconciliation. Another writer says, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, through him to reconcile everything to himself by making peace through the blood of his cross. There's the cross again. By making peace through the blood of his cross, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And you were once alienated and hostile in mind because of your evil actions. But now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. I want you to know this morning that you can be reconciled to God. That he has taken the initiative. That he has provided the way of reconciliation through his son, Jesus Christ. That reconciliation is his idea. That he wants you to know that you are loved. What's holding you back? You see, reconciliation with God is possible not only because he has taken the initiative, not only because he has provided Jesus Christ, but he's also removed the barrier to our reconciliation with him. That this barrier has been absolutely smashed through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As you know from experience, every single person here knows from experience that relational tension doesn't just happen. There's always a reason for the tension. You don't just wake up one morning and look at your wife and feel angry towards her. There's a reason. She didn't make you breakfast. I don't know. That's not a reason to get mad. But you don't just get mad. There's always a reason for relational tension. And until that reason or that barrier is resolved or removed, you cannot have a sweet fellowship with that individual. 
Oh, we have sayings, don't we? Well, let's just sweep it under the rug and everything will be all right. Well, you know, eventually you trip over the rug. You know, we also have sayings sounding like, ignore it long enough and it will go away. Well, some of it has been trying that for years. And it has not gone away. Some of us try and say, well, it's really no big deal. But we know that it just grows and grows and grows. Until the barrier is removed, reconciliation cannot be complete. Until that issue of sin is dealt with, reconciliation with God will not be complete. Until that is that hostility and that enmity has been dealt with, we will be kept apart from God. As I wrote that phrase in my sermon, as often happens, songs pop into my head, and a song by Captain Tennille popped into my head. Some of you know it. Love, love will keep us together. And so I wrote, well, no, that's not true. And I wrote my little line under it, sin, sin will keep us apart. Until that barrier is resolved, we will never be able to enter into a love relationship with our Heavenly Father. Paul goes on here and says then that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. That's a, a rather staggering statement. And you might say, well, that, that's a pretty um, bold statement to say that only through Christ is the world reconciled to God. But that is the reality of Christian faith. That is what comes when we really understand the nature of our sin and how reconciliation with God is, 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 is brought about. It says that God came into the world to reconcile the world to himself. Jesus Christ lived in this world. He was born into it. He died in it. He breathed the air that we breathe that gives us life. He saw the same sun and the moon and the stars that you and I see. He saw the best of the world. He saw the worst of the world. God actually stepped out of um, no time into time. He stepped out of eternity and stepped into history. God was in this world reconciling us to himself. That's what Good Friday and Easter is all about. It's this reminder of the historical reality that God left heaven, stepped into earth, and experienced life as you and I experienced it. See, the barrier to relationship with God was smashed by God stepping into our space, stepping into our history. And he did this through Jesus Christ. That's how God entered this world. That's why Christmas matters. Because in Christmas, it wasn't just a little human baby that was born. It was a human baby. But in the miracle of God, in the mystery of God, that little baby was also deity. Was 100% God. And so God stepped into this world in Jesus Christ. The gospel writer of John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word became flesh. In another place, John says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's another way of saying God, who is spirit, took on flesh and bones like you and I have and entered into our world. And because of that, he was able to smash the barrier that was created by our sin. How? Well, he says that God was in the world through Christ and he was reconciling the world. 
that, that, that God just didn't come for a vacation from heaven. He just wasn't sitting up there saying, I got to go see what Palestine is like. You know, I want to see what those people live like. No, God was on a mission. God had a purpose in sending his son to this world. And the purpose was to bring us back into a relationship with him. It was a search and rescue mission. And it was a search and rescue mission for the whole world. That God came into our world and in the person of Christ took on all of our sin, bore all of its penalty, experienced all of its punishment in order that we could experience peace with God. There is no other solution to the problem of the world than Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. That's why it is so important that we go into all the world and preach the gospel. We find references to this, John one twenty nine. The next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of Palestine. No. Of course not. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And in another place, he said to a woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. God wants to reconcile the world to himself. There are many pretenders for the title Savior of the world. But it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter what your cultural upbringing or background is. There is only one Savior for the world. And that is Jesus Christ. And there is only one way to a relationship with God. And that is through Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. See, I love Easter because it focuses on the universal, inclusive reality of Christian faith. That, the, that, that, that salvation in Jesus Christ is not just for, for a few people, but it's for the world. And, and it's for, it's not, you're not excluded by, by race or by condition or by class or by gender or by economic background. None of that excludes you. We are all accepted by God through Jesus Christ. The door to reconciliation of the whole world has been blown wide open through Jesus Christ. How is he in the world reconciling us? By removing it says, or by not counting our trespasses against us. You see, that's the heart, really, of the Christian message, isn't it? That's the heart of Good Friday and Easter. And we, never, we should never tire of hearing that good news. Because on Good Friday, God punished Christ, not for his own sin, but for the sins of all who would put their faith and trust in him. And God's wrath was poured out on Christ for the sins of the world. So that when Easter comes along and Christ is raised from the dead, God says, I have accepted the perfect sacrifice of Christ. I have accepted his offering for sin. I am satisfied in my punishment upon him. God accepted him and raised him from the dead. And so we know that our sins can be forgiven.
See, that's the beauty of salvation. That's at the heart of the Christian faith, that your sins and my sins can be forgiven in Christ Jesus. Because our sin had separated us from God. Our sin had created a barrier between us and God. God removed that barrier in Christ Jesus. Some of the ways that people responded to that caused them great joy, and they should for us as well. Blessed is the one whose sin is forgiven. That is a word that can be translated, oh, the happiness of. Oh, the happiness of one whose sin is forgiven. Blessed or oh, the happiness of the man whom the Lord counts no iniquity against. Or out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Lord, listen to my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for help. Lord, if you considered sins, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness of sin. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. You will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. In love, you have delivered my life from the pit of destruction. You have cast all my sins behind your back. In other words, he does not count your transgressions against you. Why? Because he's dealt with them in Jesus Christ. What's holding you back? Be reconciled to God. Paul goes on, though, to say in this this situation, Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. See, God has done all the work, but he will not force you into a relationship with him. See, the next move is yours. Do you see that faith is about a relationship? And it's about how God wants to be reconciled to you. And so God has done all the work of reconciliation. He has entered our world. He has removed the barrier to reconciliation, our sin, so that forgiveness is possible. But then he he doesn't force it on you. He doesn't just grab you and say, you're going to be my friend. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, I implore you, be reconciled to me. I call out to you, come and receive this free gift of forgiveness that I offer to you. You see, you and I must all accept this free gift that God gives to us. That's all that remains to making full reconciliation with God a reality. Today, I want you to accept God's offer of reconciliation. I, along with everyone else here who has experienced that freedom and that forgiveness and that peace, we want you to have what we have. Oh, happy day! When Jesus washed my sins away. And you can sing with us then. Oh, happy day. When Jesus washed my sins away. Be reconciled to God. Accept his free gift of salvation even today. See, you know your hunger for relationship. We all have one. And that hunger exists in each human being. And God has placed it in you. 
Believe then what God says of the Bible, that God has taken your place, that he has borne the penalty for your sin, that your sin has been punished. And so now he says, come to me. Jesus said, whoever comes to me, I will cast out no one. He says another way. Um, when we say, I need you and I accept you into my life, Lord Jesus, and I receive the forgiveness that you offer me, you become reconciled to God. You become a child of God and you receive peace inside. As Paul puts it in another place, therefore, everyone who has been justified by faith has peace with God through Jesus Christ. If you've never experienced peace, it's hard to describe it. To know that there is nothing between you and God. So admit your sin. Repent of it. Accept the free gift that God offers to you in Christ Jesus. Believe that God raised him from the dead. And the scripture says you will be saved. What's holding you back today? Finally, one more time, just to sort of summarize it all. Paul then writes again, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's so important that we understand again what Paul is saying here. Sin is like a disease. And every single one of us has a disease. And we all know that the mortality rate from that disease is 100%. But God has provided the cure in Jesus Christ. Again, he says here, for our sake, he made him. God took the initiative. For our sake, God says, I will take that sin. I will take that disease and I will put it upon my son. Why? As we heard a little bit earlier, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever would believe in him should not perish, but have eternal life. But God, who is abundant in mercy because of his great love with which he has for us, made us alive in Christ Jesus, even though we were dead in our trespasses, by grace you have been saved. So God took the initiative again. And what does he do? He says he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. In other words, we, we might have, and I wish I could somehow figure out how to picture this, but say we have Jesus Christ here, the perfect Son of God, never sinned in word, action, deed, thought, motive, completely obeyed God with every intention, every action, every word, every thought. And then we have us who have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God takes all of that stuff, all of that sin, And he places it on Christ. It's a staggering exchange. Everything you've ever done wrong, every thought you've ever had, every intention, every motive, he takes off of you and he places on his son. God made him who knew no sin to be sin. It doesn't mean that Jesus became a sinner because the Bible says that he was like us in every way and yet without sin. But the Bible also tells us that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Why? Because God had taken our sin and he placed it upon his son. Were it not for the perfect one, Jesus Christ, standing in our place, we would never be able to be reconciled to God. But then this 
equally astounding thing takes place. God takes all of the perfection of Jesus Christ, all of his obedience, all of his pure thoughts, all of his right motives, all of his perfect action, he takes those and he puts them upon us. So we are perfect. It's almost beyond comprehension. But that it says here that so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's our gain. Simply put, Christ takes our place on the cross and in the grave so that we might take his place accepted before the Father. It's a stunning transaction. I began by a quote with Victor Hugo. The supreme happiness in life is the conviction that we are loved. I wish that each one of you here this morning, even if you're already in a relationship with God, could know how much you are loved. Not just intellectually, but experientially. To know just how much you are loved. There's a song that we sing at Thursday, and I wish I could sing it. It's, 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 it's simply, Oh, how he loves me so. Oh, how he loves me so. It's a beautiful experience to know the love of God. God has created us for relationship. But I also think that God has put in each of us a similar desire. It's like a homing instinct. We talk about homing pigeons. who, who they, they all go back home. Well, God has placed in every single human being a homing instinct for him, if you will. And it's partly because we're all created in the image of God. And so we all in some way reflect God's image. But he also says that God has, re- has placed eternity in the hearts of all men. So there is a reason why the Babylonians um, created those big ed- edifices for burial. The Egyptians create those big ter- um, pyramids for burial. The Tibetans have a Tibetan book of the dead. Because there's some instinct that says there's more to life than what we presently know. There's got to be something beyond. Well, that's because God has placed eternity into our hearts. We have this desire that though not possessed, we feel its attraction. I bet every one of you has felt that. Might be on a walk, might be lying down, might be at a funeral, but you thought, there's got to be more to life than this. There's got to be something that comes after this. St. Augustine put it this way. You have made us for yourself. And our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. If you are restless and searching, you will not find peace and satisfaction until you find it in God. You see, there is in each of us an abyss a profound God-shaped gap within human nature that's implanted there by God in order to draw us back to himself. As Alistair McGrath said, just as physical hunger points us to a real human need that can be met through food, so this spiritual hunger corresponds to a real need that can be met through God. It was C.S. Lewis who said, If I find in myself a desire with no experience in this world, that no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. 
we have all been made for another world. And that homing instinct has been placed in each single one of us. Easter reminds us and magnifies that homing instinct. One more quote. It's an image from a Renaissance poet, Francis Quarles. He says, Our soul is like an iron needle drawn to the magnetic pole of God. I love that. Our soul is like a magnetic needle drawn to the magnetic pole of God. You see, we have this homing instinct precisely because there is a home to go to. Loved ones, that home is in heaven with your Creator and with our Father. And Easter reminds us that God has made it possible for us to find our way back home. God loves you. He has placed within each of us a desire to be related to him and experience that love. He has placed in each of us this homing instinct that draws us inexplainably sometimes back to him. As an ambassador of Christ then, as one with the ministry of reconciliation, I implore you today, be reconciled to God. What's holding you back? 